Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. With your host, Steve Garrett, moderator of the world's largest Corvette website, CorvetteForum.com. MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest. President of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri. And radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and more. And you can also listen on your smart device as well. Just say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also visit the Corvette Today website. It's CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. You can also sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates, and information at CorvetteToday.ck.page. I'd like to thank our flagship sponsor of Corvette Today, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City. Hendrick is the largest seller of Corvettes in the Kansas City area, and they ship nationwide. Visit ChevyUSA.com or call 913-384-1550. That's 913-384-1550. Today I have with me a friend of mine that you really need to know because he's been in business for 35 years. He is recognized as the number one Corvette restorer in the world. As a matter of fact, in 2012, he was an inductee to the Bloomington Gold Great Hall. He does breathtaking, state-of-the-art Corvette restoration, and his shop is simply called Corvette Repair Incorporated. They restore all years of Corvettes from 1953, historical Corvettes and vintage Corvettes. As a matter of fact, he's going to be talking about that in just a minute. I want to introduce you to Kevin McKay, the owner and founder of Corvette Repair Incorporated. Kevin, Welcome to Corvette Today. How are you? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you, my friend? I am great, buddy. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Kevin, let's talk about the very beginning. Maybe when you were a young boy, when did you catch what I call the Corvette bug? Well, as a, growing up as a young lad, I was a boy's boy. I was into tractors and trucks and sports cars and digging ditches and playing in the mud and playing in the sandbox, the whole nine yards. I've always loved, loved working with my hands and I was old enough to ride a bike, cooling, to get on a bicycle and took it apart, put that back together again. And then I got into uh, those little mini bikes and go-karts and did that kind of thing. I used to work at a bike store. One thing led to another. And uh, finally, when I probably turned maybe uh, 15 and a half, 16, I know I was going to get my learner's permit soon. I couldn't wait to drive. Uh, so I took it apart some cars. That's kind of how it started in a way. You know, I was always mechanically interested in stuff like that, how to put things together and I remember uh, my dad used to buy me these models as a kid back in the early 60s. I would never look at the directions. I would just figure out on my own, just put the thing together. So it took me a little bit longer, but that's how I learned. It was a fun time in my life. It really was. That's really cool. Now, when did you catch the bug for Corvette? I mean, do you remember when you saw your first Corvette and went, wow? Well, I was probably with my dad. And I was probably eight, nine years old, and I saw this Corvette. And I remember the chrome spears on the trunk area. And I said, my father, I said, Dad, what is that? That's a really cool sports car. He goes, oh, that's a Corvette. And obviously it was a 1958 model year because I remember clearly, like it was yesterday, those chrome spears on the back of the trunk area. I remember the washboard hood because I was looking at that car for quite a while, just looking at it. And see, that's got to be one of the coolest cars I've ever seen. 
So do you remember the first Corvette you bought? What was it? Uh, 1964 Corvette convertible. I worked for five different Chevrolet dealerships back when I was 21 to probably 26, 27 years old. Of course, working for Chevrolet at a local couple of dealerships, I worked on a lot of Chevrolet products, which, of course, Corvette was one of them, and Nover and Camaro and Chevelle and so on. I got in a 66 Corvette. We just put a camshaft and lifters in. I took it for a ride. And I see everybody looking at me and the girls are waving at me, winking at me. I said, you know, I'm a single guy. This is my kind of car. (laughs) That instantly won you over to Corvette, didn't it? Yeah, it kind of won me over a little bit. In 1978, I worked at a place called Hoffman Chevrolet in Franklin Square, New York. They were around since probably the, the 40s. Had a pace car come in, and it was one per dealership at the time, and that was the 25th anniversary of Corvette from 1953 to 1978. I was responsible to get that car ready and took it to his house, and we put it on blocks and disconnected the battery. And That was his investment car. That made a real big impact on me. I said, you know, one day I'd like to get a Corvette. I know I can't afford one right now. I was only 21 years old. And then when I was 23, two years later, I bought my first Corvette, which was a 1964 model year. The rest is basically history. It was a red convertible, and I washed that car every day. No kidding. Yeah, well, my motto is, a clean car is a happy car. Absolutely right. And especially a red Corvette, right? <laughs> yeah, red Corvette. And it was just a fun time in my life. I didn't have much money because my whole life savings went to that car. But it was a real good stepping stone for me. And then I started getting all the Corvette magazines and the books. And go to bookstores at the time and go to the local candy store and get the newest issue of a Corvette magazine. And I started reading about it and learned about the NCRS Club. And I learned about Bloomington Gold got involved with that. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I got in at the right time. I really did, Steve. I think so, too, Kevin. I'm reading that book called All Corvettes Are Red. Have you read that book? No, I have not. I wish I had more time. But I heard it's a wonderful, wonderful book. It's really great because it's in the C5 era. And it's a engineer that stood up in one of the GM meetings when they were developing the C5. And he said, damn it, all Corvettes are red. The others are just mistakes. Okay. I've always remembered that. That was so cool. Kevin, tell everybody the story about how you started Corvette Repair. Because if you work for five different Chevrolet dealerships, at some point you said, okay, I'm going to venture out on my own and start a Corvette shop that we can repair all Corvettes. But it's a really cool story. So tell the story about how you started your business. Well, first place, Steve, most people don't know this, but every job I've ever had, I got fired from. No kidding. So I couldn't keep a job. So I told my father, I said, you know, Pop, I think I'm going to start my own business. He goes, you're never going to make it. So I had to prove a point. I said, you know something? Son of a gun. And I can't blame him because every job I've ever had, maybe I just didn't like taking orders from people. So I went to a town in Valley Stream at the time. I was born and raised in the Bronx, and I moved to Long Island in 1959, and I moved to Valley Stream. Oh, in 59, I moved to Valley Stream in 59. And I've been here pretty much most of my life. Well, it turned out I saw a repair shop. They just opened it and it was kind of empty in the back. And I went in there one day and I said, you know, would you be interested in renting out that rear uh, bay area? What do you want to do? I said, I just want to work on Corvettes. Well, how the hell are you going to make a living doing that? I said, well, I'm only one person. And I figure where I got to lose. And at the time, I owned two Corvettes. I own a a 65 convertible and I own a 65 coupe. So I used to park those cars in, in the back of the building. And I was right on a major road called Sunrise Highway, which is the main artery of Long Island. And I put up a sign, Corvette Repairs with an S. And they started coming in like crazy. Wow. And from the day that up, I was always busy. I was just very fortunate. My rent was $400 a month at $20 a day, five days a week. And I was busy. And then I had to hire a couple of people and one thing led to another. And I moved into a larger facility, which I'm still here today, my 35th year in business. I'm still doing it. I started when I was 28 now. 
I just turned 64. Do you remember the very first Corvette you worked on when you opened up Corvette Repairs? Uh, 67 Marina Blue 435 Coupe was the first car that came into my facility. The guy's name was Frank Avini. Wow. Against your S judge. And we were still painting the walls while we were working on the car. Wow. <laughs> I do remember that day. And he was really worried about his paint splatter on the fender of his car. So we kind of covered up with plastic. Here we are trying to get the place in order. And here we are, we're, of course, working on the car already. So yeah, that was the 435 Marina Blue Coupe. Never forget it. That's a great story. I didn't think you'd remember. I just threw that out there thinking, oh, you know, he'll probably remember. But you remember the car. You remember the person. That's amazing, Kevin. Yeah. Well, that made a big impact on me because I was so excited to get out of the little tiny place that I was into. It was only a one-bay garage. I was able to stuff three cars in there. So when I moved into my new facility, it was like a palace compared to what I had. So I was a lot more room, and I was able to do body work and paint in the same location. So I was very blessed, very, very blessed. You know, Kevin has worked on some historical and vintage cars, and we'll get into that a little bit later on in the podcast. But I wanted to really highlight this because, Kevin, you guys work on all sorts of Corvettes. Now, do they have to be like NCRS style or Bloomington Gold style Corvettes for someone to bring in their car and have you take care of it? You know, Steve, that's a great question. A lot of people are very intimidated by us for some reason because we do have a, an excellent reputation out there for restoration. But we do anything that pays the bills with Corvettes. We basically focus on 1953 to 1982, just the C1, C2, C3 era. And we do regular repairs all day long, brake jobs, tune-ups, oil changes. I'm a big safety freak. Every new car and new customer comes into our facility, I always do a safety check on the lift. Because there's so many cars out there that are 50, 60 plus years old, and they all need either kingpins or ball joints or bushings and so on. So I give them a good thorough inspection. And it's amazing how many people they have the car all these years, they have no clue what's going on underneath the car. They don't, it may look nice, maybe clean and shiny, but I, I, like I said, I mean, I want to make sure the car passes a state inspection before it leaves our shop. That's a great idea. You see that so many times over and over again, like on shows on Motor Trend, like Phantom Works. This guy does the same thing. He's really particular about safety, and nobody realizes they're looking at the car for the aesthetic purposes and maybe also the high-performance engine, but that's all they see. They don't look at brakes. They don't look at transmission. They don't look at electrical. So it's great to hear that you guys make sure the car runs and runs well and, like you said, passes a state inspection before it leaves your shop oh it has to and i tell people i'll come in here because you know kevin i got a scratch on my paint and my interior is kind of faded i go well listen to me your brakes are down to the floor what's more important your interior or a little scratch in the paint or your brakes let's get the bugs out of it first before we start doing any kind of cosmetic work on the car Absolutely right. And they'll thank you for it years down the road, even weeks or months down the road, because not only does the car look great, but it runs well. Exactly. Exactly. We can always do the pretty stuff later on. Let's just get down to the, because at least you could drive the car, enjoy it. And I always tell people, let's wait until maybe the fall or the winter to get into the pretty stuff. If you want to do some cosmetic work or some interior work or some paint work or chrome or whatever you want to do, let's worry about disabling car then i don't want to disable a car during the summer months you guys want to enjoy go to cruise night or a local show take your wife or girlfriend out on a date whatever you guys decide you want to do yep that makes total sense we're going to take a quick break but in segment number two we're going to get into the meat of the discussion because kevin and his crew have worked on some very very monumental and historical corvettes and we're going to talk about that in segment number two you're listening to corvette today 
Hey, honey, are you awake? Mm, I am now. I can't sleep. Since turning 50, I keep dreaming of a red door and a blue door, somehow knowing there are only choices for retirement. Okay. Through the red door, we outlive our money. We have to rely on our kids. We're stuck on a fixed income. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would suck. But through the blue door, our money outlives us. We retire on our terms. Our kids stay our kids, not our caretakers. We make work optional. Yes, that's much better. That's what I want too. But what do we do? We call True Wealth and Company at 913-653-8783. They specialize in helping successful people make work optional. They're our fiduciary Blue Door personal wealth managers. Hey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm going to check out True Wealth and Company online at retirewithtrue.com. That Blue Door is going to be our retirement. 913-653-8783. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. This is the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I have with me today, Kevin McKay. Kevin owns Corvette Repair Incorporated in Valley Stream, New York, which is right on Long Island. It's 15 minutes away from JFK Airport, but Kevin and his crew do historical repairs on some famous, famous historical Corvettes in the history of Corvette. As a matter of fact, in this segment, we're going to talk about some of those. Kevin, I'm going to name off some of these cars, and I want you to tell us the story because there are so many historical cars cars that you guys have worked on and they are done to perfection and that's really what I want to get into. First of all, let's talk about Briggs Cunningham's Le Mans car. Tell me the story about that car. I tell you, see, that's a car that really touches nerve with me. I had a very good customer. He was probably the number one Corvette collector back in the early mid 80s and I got very, very friendly with him. His name was Ed Mueller out of Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. Big collector. He was the only guy that had one of the original Grand Sports. He also had one of the original ZL1 Corvettes, one of two built. He didn't have one, but he had two factory 67 L88s and probably a dozen C3 L88s. Wow. And I remember reading about him back in the early 80s, and I got to know him quite well, and I, I did quite a bit of work for him. Once a month, he would come out. I take him out to lunch, or I go to his facility in Jersey, and he take me out to dinner. He's a big paperwork fanatic. He loves documentation. He loves putting together scrapbooks and photographs and special documents that pertain to some of his cars to protect his investment. So one of the cars that he has is the only mid-year C2 Corvette that ever raced at Le Mans. It's red, white, and blue. And the car led the GT class 13 hours before a wrist pin let loose. And I was going through all his documents. And in his documents, I noticed like an inspection sheet. And on the inspection sheet, had a serial number on the car. I go, Ed, where the hell did you get this from? He goes, oh, you're not going to believe this. But at Le Mans, they keep records of all the cars that race at Le Mans. They write down the serial number of the car. I said, well, that's a no-brainer. And what if they do that with the earlier cars that went to Le Mans? He goes, I don't know. I wrote to Le Mans and let them know that I'd like to get some VIN numbers for some of the cars that race at Le Mans. I got nothing, no feedback. I got nothing, no phone call, no fax, no nothing. Now, this is before the computers were, were even around. This is, I'm going back in early, early 90s, like 91. Uh, one day I'm having dinner with Ed again. And I said to Ed, I don't get it. I don't, I don't have any luck with this. I don't know what to say. I don't have any luck getting any information for Lamar not responding to me. Well, did you do it in French? Oh, no. I said, I don't know French. I said, how the hell do I know French for? <laughs> he goes, well, that's why they're not responding to you, because they really don't, the French people don't like Americans. You've got to write that in French. He goes, I don't know French. So it turns out I had a customer that was French. I also went to a French school. 
I made a copy of what I did in English and they converted over to French. And he said, when you do that, you got to send a bouquet of flowers in good gesture. You need some help. And, and you want to know that you really appreciate that. And here's a bouquet of flowers. Wow. I didn't know that either. I said, why don't you tell me that before? He goes, well, you never asked. So sure enough, about six months later, I get a fax of all the serial numbers of all the Corvettes that went to Le Mans. I had the holy grail of VIN numbers, and I was shaking like a leaf in the 90s. Wow. I could not believe what I saw. So I got the VIN numbers. I had a couple of my customers that were in the law enforcement business, and sure enough, I went after them. One was in California, which I knew has survived. That was the number two car owned by a guy named Michael Pillsbury. He found that car in a junkyard back in like 1981. I think he bought that car for $300. The class winner car, the number three car, which is the one I really, really wanted, was in St. Louis. The guy had no idea what it was. And the number one car was somewhere in the state of Florida. With persistent effort, I hired a private investigator to assist me. We found the car in St. Louis. I called the guy up and I wanted to know if he had this particular car. He says, yes, he did. His name was James Walsh. I forget it. And I said, Mr. Walsh, would you be interested in selling the car? He says, no, not really, not this time. The guy was a pilot, I think, for American Airlines. And I said, okay. I said, well, you have to decide you want to sell it. I'll give the car a great home. And I've never mentioned the word Lamar. I never mentioned the word Briggs Cunningham. I never mentioned the word class winner. So over the years, how about seven years waiting? Every year, I would send him a Christmas card. I sent him a Corvette hat. I sent him a Corvette book. I sent him a Corvette T-shirt. So I continue a relationship with him. And in my Christmas cards, I always go down, just, just checking in, you know, have a wonderful holiday. Just let you know, I'm still interested in your Corvette when you're ready to sell it. So I got had a very good relationship with Mr. Walsh and his wife, who was a sweetheart. So one day I get a call during the holidays and it's Mrs. Walsh. And she says, Kevin, thank you so much for the wonderful Corvette book. My husband adores you. You've been so patient with us, but my husband now is thinking about retiring one day. His back's bothering him, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure you get that car. I said, well, Mrs. Walsh, I really appreciate that. And sure enough, a couple days later, I got a call from her husband. He was willing to sell the car. But what I did was, during that seven-year period, I had a great, wonderful relationship with a gentleman named Chip Miller, who was one of the founders of Carlisle Events. And we were very, very close, best of friends. And I always talked about that car. And he said to me, Kevin, that's the year I graduated high school. If you ever decide to ever sell that car, ever get that car, please put me in in first position to get that car. I said, you know something, Chip? I can't own them all. The next best thing of owning a car like that is have your friends own it. I said, there's another car I'm trying to go after. I can't own them all. It's just knowing that the car will go to a good home. I couldn't ask for a better home than Chip's collection. There was another car I was going after was the Penske car, but that's another story. Talk about that car, too. I will. So, make a long story short, Mr. Wall sold me the car. Basically, Chip wrote off the check, got the car, invited all the original guys that were involved with the car at the time. Bob Grossman and John Fish were both the original drivers of the car in 1960. Wow. And they were both still alive. We invited him and 13 other experts to join in before we took the car apart to prove that car was the number three class winner Cunningham car. We have it all on videotape. We documented it to the nth degree, and it turned out to be the class winner Cunningham Le Mans Corvette before the restoration to give the car a tremendous amount of credibility. There was so many forensic evidence on that particular car that we saw. 
We saw where the fuel cap was mounted on the center of the rear deck, the extra light holes for brake lights, the exhaust cutouts. There was just so many things that were still on that car that were just covered up because the car was converted back to a street car. And of course, our goal was to debut that car. We got that car in 2001. We had the car done in 2002 at Monterey. And then we would bring it over to Lamar, which would be the 50th year anniversary of Lamar wow. with that car. And we wanted to have both drivers and Chip and myself over there to experience this and have these guys drive the car around the track. And that's part of the movie, The Quest. That's another great movie that Michael Brown made. Amazing, amazing story. I'm giving you the very, very short version of that. So it turns out that Chip died of a rare blood disease. Bob Grossman died of cancer. And the only gentleman that was left was 92-year-old John Fitch. And we brought him over to Lamar with the car 50 years later. Drive the car around the track in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Just an amazing time. Here's this 92-year-old guy driving the car. And he hasn't been back to Lamar since 1960. And here it is, 2010. What an incredible story. Amazing story. But yeah, the movie The Quest, I would highly recommend it. It's just a, it's a real tailjerker. True story. And that's just one of the other stories I can tell you about today, Steve. That's great. Talk more about that Penske L88 racer, Kevin. That's a great story, too. Yeah, the Penske Corvette. I heard about it because all the magazines and books I read. And one day I was in a show at the Malcolm Connor Chevrolet show in Paramus, New Jersey. It was back like 1983, I think it was. And I was with my friend, Ed Mueller. This is before I even started my business. And this car pulls in. It was a little customized. It had flares on it. had these door lights, these clear plastic lenses around the, uh, the headlight area. has a special, look like a cow hood on the car. And I look inside the car and it had a big tank in it. And I know that in 1966, they only made 66 tankers. And it was a big block car. So I woke over to the guy and I was with Mr. Mueller. And I, and I said, how are you doing? I said, uh, it's a pretty cool car you got there. Oh, it had Camaro IREC wheels on it. it. had side pipe exhaust on it, headers on it. And I said to the guy, I said, uh, what kind of car is this? Oh, this is Roger Pensy was the original owner of this car. This is a 1966 development LED8 Corvette. So, of course, I said, that, well, they didn't start the L.A. production until 1967. He goes, Kevin, like I said before, this is a development car, a pre-production car. You know, Roger had a lot of connections with GM and with Zora Duntoff and GM Engineering. He goes, and this is a test vehicle for the regular production cars came the following year. So he got one of these test vehicles. And I'm looking inside the car. The car's got like 13,000 original miles. It had old still water gauges on it. I said, oh, my God. So I took a picture of the tags on the car, and I took the guy's name and number. And I said, is a car available for sale? Because y'all sell it, $135,000. Wow. Now, this is 1983. A 67 factory LA car at the time would bring in between twenty-five dollars and $35,000. So he wanted to hundred grand more for this car. And I look at the guy. I said, well, I wish you luck. And Ed Mill looked at me. He knew more about that car than I did. He goes, Kevin, if that's the car, this car is priceless. I said, yeah, but boy, $135,000. Oh, my God. I could buy a lot of, a lot more car for that. You know? And you know, like I said, I was just getting into the business and learning it. So it turns out about a year or two later, he got his price. Wow. Sold to a collector named Gene Schiavone. And Gene Schiavone had the team car, which is number one Corvette Grand Sport, one of five built. That was in the prototype class where the development 66 car was in the GT class. And they were team cars. Car number nine, which is the development 66 car, and car number 10, which is the Grand Sport. 
So Mr. Schiavone had both these cars in his collection. And I remember seeing the car now in the 90s. Now the, he had it painted back Sunoco blue. And I'll tell you, I was drooling at the mouth when I saw the car up in Mystic, Connecticut at an insurance car show there. He had the Grand Sport number one out and the 66 development car side by side. Wow. I was just blown away. I said, boy, I love that's my all time favorite, 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 favorite car. And boy, I tell you, if the stars align properly one day, I love to have that in, in, in my collection. That story goes into over the years, I found other cars. I found the 1968 Sunray DX class winner, Sebring class winner, Yanko Corvette. And then I found the 1969 Factory LD8 Rebel Corvette. Found that car in a junkyard. Wow. And then I found, it was originally a tuxedo black saddle vinyl interior 69 LD8 car. It was called the VV Cook Corvette, which was a four-time B production national champion, which was the winningest Corvette in history at the time, driven by a guy called Alan Barker and Bill Joel. So I had these cars in my collection. To get back to it, I had a broker call me up from Seattle, Washington, and they, one of my cars were available for sale. And I said, absolutely not. My cars are not for sale. But then he offered me over a million dollars for the three cars. Wow. Wow. So I thought it was a complete joke. I didn't believe him. So I got a call about two weeks later, and he said, look, Mr. McKay, I have a private collector that's very interested in your cars. We'll give you $350,000 a piece for each car, which came out to a million fifty thousand. Would you be interested in selling it? So I said, I don't know. I really don't want to sell my car because I just love the history of the cars. So I contacted my dear friend, Chip Miller. I go, Chip, what am I going to do? He goes, Kevin, that money will change your life. You know, what are you, 40 years old? I said, yeah, about that. He says, is there one car you want more than anything in the world? I said, yeah, that Pepsi car. Well, if you had a million dollars in the bank, you could buy that Pepsi car? I said, you're right. Well, after that Pepsi car. So I sold those cars. Wow. So I had the money burning a hole in my pocket. And I called my father, who did not want me to get into this business. And I go, Pop, come on, we're going to take a, a ride over to the bank. Well, what are you going to do? I said, I want to show you something. So I walk into the bank. I talked to the bank employee there. I said, hi, I need the routing number and the account number because I'm getting a, a wire transfer to the bank here. And I've been in the same bank since 1973, since I had a paper out at 15 years old. But they knew me. It's, it's a small little mom and pop bank. Sure. So they said to me, well, Kevin, what's the amount that you're getting? Now, they gave me a $50,000 deposit. I said, well, I'm getting a million dollars wired to me in my account. So they look at me. They said, listen, hold on one second, Kevin. Let me get the manager over here. My father goes, what are you trying to pull here? I go, Pop, just listen. Just don't say anything, okay, Pop? Manager comes over. He goes, Kevin, what are you doing now? Are you playing jokes with us? What again? I said, no, I'm telling you. I'm getting a million dollars going to my funds. If you want me to take my business somewhere else, I'll take it somewhere else. So he said to me, are you serious? I said, very serious. My father goes, where the hell are you getting a million dollars from? I said, Pop, I just sold my three cars. What? Those cars are like your life. I said, I know, but there's another car I really want in the worst way. So at the end of the day, I didn't get a phone call. It's almost three o'clock. I go, Pop, come on. We got to go back. Maybe the guy's pulling a fast one on me. So I ran back to the bank with my father. And the bank manager runs over. He goes, Mr. McKay. I said, what's going on? He goes, congratulations. You just became a millionaire. The money's in your account. My father didn't know what to say. My father's expression was just priceless. He said, I can't believe my son, who can never keep a job, is a damn millionaire. I can't believe it. What a terrific story. Yeah. But it wasn't about the money with me. I just wanted that Penske car in the worst way. So what do you think I did, Steve? You would turn around and bought that Penske L88 racer. Which was really a, a great story is that I got that Cunningham car for my dear friend Chip for practically nothing. Because the guy did not know what it was. Now, this guy knew what this car was. 
And I could talk about this now because the guy that had that car, he passed away of a brain tumor. The guy bought the car from. So we could talk about that car today. I said to the gentleman, I said, look, I really want this car. Kevin, you can't afford this car. I said, you're probably right, but you know, maybe we could work something out here. And I don't want to tell him I, I got a million dollars because then he'll probably tell me a million dollars for the car, right? And I probably would have gave it. He goes, listen to me, I got to get the car appraised. I said, okay. I says, well, get it appraised and whatever the appraiser says, that's what I'll pay for it. He goes, is that fair? He goes, absolutely. That's fair, Kevin. I don't want to push the guy because I really wanted the car. I didn't want to piss him off, okay? So who do you think he calls as an appraisal? He called my dearest friend, Chip Miller, to appraise the car. That's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. So Chip calls me and goes, you know, Kevin, I wouldn't have this Cunningham car if it was for you. <laughs> and they always say, good things happen to good people. He goes, I just got a call from this guy that has the Pepsi car. Yeah. He wants me to appraise the car. <laughs> I go, Chip, buddy, foul. She goes, Kevin, don't say no more. I'll appraise it. So he appraised it for practically nothing. Okay. I mean, I still had to pay some good money for it. But I would have paid triple what I really paid for the car. And I'm not going to disclose what I paid for it. But Chip did the appraisal on the car, and the rest is history. I got the car. That's a terrific story. That's probably one of the best Corvette stories I've ever heard. That's fantastic. You've also worked and owned and come across some of the other really, really big cars in Corvette history. Talk about the 62 Yanko Gulf Oil Racer. The Yanko Gulf Oil Racer was owned by a guy who was a reverend, Mike Ernest, nicest guy in the world. And by forensic evidence, he realized he knew he had a fuel injection car with a big tank in it. I think they only made 62 tankers in 62. And he started tracing back the history of the car and found out it was one of the cars that was ordered at Yanko Chevrolet as one of the research vehicles for Gulf Oil Racing and got the car. Eventually, he sold it to a, uh, another client of mine in California, a guy named Victor Preisler. We did the car for Victor Preisler. And it's just an amazing car. What was neat about that car, it did not have the original motor. They found the original motor in Michigan and the original big tank for the car. So we reunited the motor and the tank with the car. And the car also is the first Corvette that got back-to-back class wins at Daytona and Sebring in 1962. Only three cars have ever achieved that. The Pepsi car did it in 1966, back-to-back wins, same consecutive year, 1966. First in class at Daytona, first in class at Sebring. And the only other car that ever achieved that, the only C3, was the Rebel Corvette that got back-to-back wins at Daytona and Sebring in 1972. So let me just say one thing about the Rebel Corvette real quick here, since we just brought that up. The Rebel Corvette was found in a junkyard. I bought that car for seven grand. The guy had no idea what he had. And what he was, basically, there's a doctor named Dr. Charles West. He was in the Carolinas. And it took me a while to find that guy. And he had no idea what he had. He junked the car. He had me all in the junkyard. I went there at midnight to look at the car. He was at a wedding. I met him in the parking lot with his wife. His wife came out with this beautiful dress. And he came out with a tux on. And we went in the car. He says, Kevin, you come out this way. I'll take you and I'll show you where this racing Corvette is. Because he had no idea it was the Rebel Corvette. And that car was on the cover of Corvette News Publication, just like the Sunway DX car was on the cover of Corvette News Publication, just like the VV Cook car was on the cover of Corvette News Publication, just like the Pepsi car was, just like the Cunningham car was. These are all cover cars. Corvette News was a GM publication. And all these cars made the cover of that GM publication, which is really, really cool. So I went out with this Dr. Charles West, met him at this reception hall, got in his car, and he's got this beautiful tux on. He goes in his pickup truck with his wife. He goes to the junkyard. He gets out of it. His wife goes, honey, will you get back in and put your overalls on? He goes back in, puts his overalls on. Now it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. 
We open up the gate from his junkyard, and this big blue tarp is covering this. looks like a shape of a Corvette. And I grab the blue tarp. I fold it over. It shatters in my hand like glass. That's how long the car has been out there for since the 70s. Now, I'm talking about September of 1991. Sure enough, I checked the VIN. The VIN matches. I knew the VIN by memory because I found the original owner of the Rebel Corvette, and he had the original invoice for the car with the VIN on it. So it matched up perfectly. But what was really, really cool on the car, in the back window, it said 1972 Corvette Race Team Le Mans. That decal was still on the window. And if you got the picture of the Rebel car when it made the cover of the Corvette News article, that decal is still in the back window of the car. Incredible. So I knew right then and there it was the Rebel car. He didn't want to sell it to me. And I said to him, listen to me, Doc, I really like to get this car. And of course, I didn't bring up Rebel Corvette or factory LED8 car or whatever. Or it was a class one at Sebring or Daytona. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do here, Kevin. If you buy me back my old Porsche, you can have the car. I said, well, how much is that? Seven grand. I gave him a $1,000 deposit, came back with a flatbed truck, picked up the car for seven grand, restored it, campaigned it, told the story, got everybody together, got with the original owner, got him Orca Stanzer, the second owner, who also raced the car the whole bit, got all the owners together, had reunions the whole bit. And then the guy from Seattle, the broker, wanted to buy the cars for a million fifty thousand, and that was one of the cars. But what was so neat about that, it went to a good friend of mine named Ed Force, who really wanted that car, and Ed bought the car, and then he was going through a bad divorce, so we took that car to Barrett-Jackson, and the car broke the world record. The car sold at Barrett-Jackson for $2.86 million wow. back in 2014. So that $7,000 investment went to almost $3 bucks. My jaw is on the floor, Kevin. That's amazing. What a story. Also, you have worked on a very rare car from 1956, the SR2. Talk about that a little bit. That car was owned by a really great guy named Richard Mason out of Nevada. And I remember seeing that car in Monterey in 1987. And when I saw that car, I almost fainted. It looked like a spaceship, a speed racer. Yes. An amazing car. It was red at the time. And he drove that car at Laguna Seca. I mean, I was just drooling down to the floor looking at that car. And they only made two high-thin cars like that. Eventually, Richard decided it was time to, uh, to pass the torch with the car. And a very, very dear friend of mine named Erwin Croy out of Pennsylvania. He was watching that car for years. Some trades went and a whole bit, and eventually he ended up with the car. The car was shipped to Corvette Repair, and we did a uh, restoration on it and brought it back to the correct color, the blue and with the scallops on it. And Mr. Mason had an incredible library of documents, GM documents, work orders for that particular car by forensic evidence, by stripping certain areas of the car. We realized that car at one time was purple. We did a background check, and that car raced at Sebring in 1958. The Nikki Chevrolet in Nikki's corporate colors was purple. Wow. And it was driven by a guy named Jim Jeffords, who was a very well-respected driver at the time. We got some photographs of that car when it was purple a little bit. So there was no question that was the SR2 that went to Sebring. And we just brought it back to exactly where it was back when they had it at GM. And that, that's an amazing story in itself. The vice president's son was driving a Ferrari at the time, a recent Ferrari at the time. It got back to the old man saying, what is your son racing this Ferrari for? You know, this is embarrassing. Here you are, you're VP of Chevrolet and you're racing a Ferrari. Get your son a Corvette. So his son didn't like the look of the Corvette. So the father goes, look, how about I make it look like a Ferrari? And that's what they got was the SR2. That's a cool story. Now, Kevin, you guys have also worked on some of the Serve vehicles as well. Isn't that correct? We worked on Serve 2 for another collector out of uh, Ohio, a guy named Harry Yegi. Great collector. We did uh, some paint work on that car, and we did some mention department detail on the car and got the car up and running. 
It's a very original car, just an amazing piece, one of one. And that car is brought back by GM. And then we had another one of one. We had the XP 819, which right now is displayed at the National Corbin Museum down in Bowling Green, Kentucky. That was just sent there uh, about a month ago, actually. Great. And they have a lot of mid-engine, rear-engine Corvettes on display there. And that's just, a, I tell you, that's one place to go. It's just an amazing place. And that's what all those cars should be at that museum. It's just, uh, you can't for a better place. Speaking of the National Corvette Museum, one of my favorite displays is the 1953 number three chassis at the museum. It's a cutaway. And you guys did that. Talk about that car because I remember seeing it when they first got it. And it was on a revolving platform. And I got a video of the car going all the way around. But you guys did the work on that car, the number three 1953 chassis. Yes, it was 1953, the earliest production chassis known in history. I remember that in the 80s when the gentleman displayed that at the Interest Regional Meet down in Cypress Gardens. I just couldn't believe that that even existed because of what I've been told that the serial number one and serial number two have been destroyed. And that one survived, believe it or not. One guy has the body, the other guy has the chassis, and that chassis came up for sale on eBay and told a good friend of mine named Ed Force about it, and he purchased it shipped it out to us. It was just a bare frame. Wow. So he knew that over our creations here, we built those drivable chassis. We built those sideways Corvettes. We built the see-through Corvettes. We built the cutaway Corvettes. And I asked Ed, I said, Ed, what do you want to do with this chassis? You got to build some kind of creation. You got to do something. I said, what do you want? He goes, I want the car cut in half. I said, so you want a cutaway car? He goes, yeah. I said, well, what side do you want open? He goes, what side is the VIN number open? I said, the VIN number is open on the driver's side. He goes, well, won't you have the driver's side exposed and have the pitch side with the body on it? I said, okay. So 5,000, 6,000 man hours later, with all the yelling and cursing and engineering and measuring, and we got it all together and we uh, debuted it down at the Million Island Concourse. And everybody just went nuts over the damn thing because the thing is, is functional too. It, it runs and drives. Eventually, Mr. Force donated to the National Corporate Museum, and I was just ecstatic that it's there. It's a permanent display at the National Corporate Museum, and it could be at a better place. So I'm just so thrilled with it. They're taking great care of it. I went there for the first time Labor Day weekend to see it there. They just built this beautiful, magnificent room for that piece, and I couldn't be any prouder. It's a great car. It's a great story. And like I said earlier, I saw the car when it first got there, and it was on a revolving platform, and I got a video of the car going completely in a circle. But when you realize this is the third Corvette ever built, you're just in awe of the car, especially because it's a cutaway. You can see everything, the workings and the makings of those 1953 Corvettes. Only 300 were ever built that first year, and this is the third one ever built, and it's the earliest one known in existence. Absolutely, and it's been around forever. That chassis was on a 55 body. It was like an engineering 55 body, and we go back to the 70s on that car, believe it or not. When the guy took the body off the chassis, one of the big shot NCRS guys confirmed that it was absolutely authentic. So when it came up for sale on eBay, I just couldn't believe it. I can't believe it. What a piece of history. I'm so glad that we're able to preserve history, tell the story. We have so many documents uh, on that car. It just make your head spin. Oh, a lot of tests and developing. And the reason why they changed the chassis, we have a document that was dated August of 1953, where they did a Belgian block test. What's that? What they did was for like, I don't know how many thousands of hours, they put on a Belgian block and the car just shook to see how the chassis would hold up if any kind of stress cracks would happen. Huh. 
And they were afraid that they just put a brand new chassis back on serial number three, 003 53 Corvette. And they took that chassis because they were still testing, developing it. They put on a 55 body. Somehow it, it got out of GM and continued on the 55 body. And then when the guy took the body off the chassis, he realized he had 003 chassis underneath it. But we have all these workers that were saved and preserved and tells the whole entire story. And some of those documents will be shared at the National Equipment Museum. They did a great display of that, where you just push a button and it tells the whole story. So it's it's pretty neat. But that's why that's how that chassis got away from the body. That's incredible. To think that that car had a 55 body on it is just amazing. And the story that reunited the body to the chassis is just incredible. And now it's in a safe place where it'll live for history. Absolutely. I'm just so thrilled that it's there. And it just tells the story. And Having it as a cutaway person is such an education because people don't realize the inner workings of, a, of an early Corvette and everything is exposed. It's just pretty cool. I sat there and looked at that car for probably a couple hours. I walked around because when it was on the revolving platform, I was looking at specific things. And I just kept walking around and walking around and people were looking at me like, this guy must be crazy. But I was specifically looking at things that I was interested in instead of waiting for it to come back around. I just kept following the car around. So it was pretty funny. As you can tell, Kevin is a Corvette hunter. As a matter of fact, Kevin has written a book called Corvette Hunters. In segment number three of Corvette Today, we're going to give you a chance to win a book from Kevin McKay called Corvette Hunters. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. Fact. According to the March of Dimes, 40,000 babies are born each year in the United States with heart defects. At Athletic Testing Solutions, we take that, well, to heart. ATS offers the ATS Heart Check, a series of non-invasive tests to identify possible hidden heart defects in your kid's heart. Frequently, the symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest are masked or misdiagnosed. The ATS Heart Check can help detect congenital heart problems or abnormalities that don't show up during regular checkups or a sports physical. The ATS Heart Check is a terrific option, and it gives you peace of mind that your child is heart safe. Sudden cardiac arrest claims on average 130 young lives every week. Don't let your kids be a statistic. The ATS Heart Check takes only 20 to 30 minutes and it utilizes an EKG, an echocardiogram ultrasound of the heart. Visit ATSHeartCheck.com. Schedule your child today. Call toll-free 888-537-2597. That's 888-537-2597. You're listening to the Corvette Today Podcast with Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I have an amazing guest with me today. It's Kevin McKay from Corvette Repair in Long Island, New York. As you can tell, listening to this podcast, Kevin has owned and worked on some of the most incredible Corvettes in history. But as I mentioned right before we took a break, Kevin is a Corvette hunter and he wrote a book called Corvette Hunter. And that's where all these stories came from about some of these monumental Corvettes. Talk about the book a little bit, Kevin, because I want to give away some books here from the podcast. Not a problem, Steve. Well, anyway, I'm involved in the book, but I can't take credit for writing the book. It was a gentleman named Tyler. His father was a good friend, a good customer of mine. And I work 14-hour days, six days a week. I have no life. My life is Corvettes. I've been approached over the years. Some people heard of my stories because I love talking about them and doing workshops and classes and stuff like that. I did a lot of classes at the National Corvette Museum, and I did a lot for Bloomington Gold and NCRS National Convention, the whole bit, and some local clubs and stuff like that. I just love doing it and sharing the stories. 
a couple of people wanted to put a book together. And I just said, look, I could barely read. I could barely write. And I just don't have time. So one of my clients, Jay, came up to me. He goes, Kevin, listen to me. You know, my son is just an amazing writer. He writes for a motorcycle magazine. His name is Tyler. I see, I remember your son, Tyler, when he was a little squirt, you know? I was a big squirt. And he says, listen, just talk to my son, okay? Come on, you got to do this to me. So, you know, I can't say no to this guy. This guy, Jay, is just a great guy. He's got a 66 silver coupe Corvette. So Tyler came down. He's taller than I am. And I said, oh, my God, Tyler, I remember you were a little kid. He goes, yeah, yeah, well, you know. I remember you gave me this pop gun. It was like like from the 50s. I had this laying around. I gave it to him as a kid, and he still had it. And he says, look, you got to help me do this book. They really want you to do this book. I said, yeah, but I just don't have the time. And if I do it, I want to do it right. I want to go all out. Listen to me. That's what you got me. I said, yeah, but I can't really write that good. I mean, English ain't that good. And I'm not a good reader. I'm not a good speller. And he goes, listen to me. Can you talk? I said, oh, I can talk. Well, that's what I could do. I can talk. And I, I love talking. He goes, well, how about I just interview you? And I'll record everything or in shorthand. Now, this guy lived in Wisconsin. So he would talk to me, you know, once a week for eight months straight. And when sometimes he'd come and visit me, you know, his parents were in Connecticut, not too far from here. We would talk and talk and talk. And he juggled my memory so much. And I felt very much at home and very comfortable. And we did it my only day off, which was Sunday. I wasn't at a show. And he put it all together. But what's so interesting about the book, when I read the book, is I want to make sure it was accurate and true. I said, you know it sounds like me talking and it's just a very fun, it's a, just a fun read. And I went online, I went through all the reviews. I'm getting all these five stars, five stars, four stars. When we went to a show in Chicago, Tyler came with me to promote the book and the book wasn't out yet. We're just finishing it up. I have a really good relationship with Reggie Jackson, who was the, uh, you know, Hall of Famer of the New York Yankees and hit three home runs back in 1977. I do some work for Reggie once in a while. I, I would travel with him and look at cars for him and you know, meet each other at shows and, I go to his house, have a beer with him. He's just a regular guy and very knowledgeable when it comes to all kinds of muscle cars and 55, 57 Chevys and stuff like that. He just loves the willies. And he, I mean, he's a big car guy. Even though he was a professional athlete, he really was truly passionate about cars since he was a little boy. And we, we've had some really wonderful, wonderful talks. So he's in Chicago and we're going to have dinner one night. And I said, hey, Reggie, you kid with your friends. We have fun all the time. I go, Reggie, guess what? They're doing a book about me. He goes, oh, really? He goes, well, I have a couple books about me. I said, well, I bet you do. Bet you, you know? So I said, if you don't mind, Tyler, who's doing the book about all my escapades of all hunting down all these rare Corvettes, would you mind talking to him? Sure, I talked to him. So Reggie and Tyler went off to the side. About an hour later, Tyler's got a big smile on his face. Uh, he told some good stuff. He goes, yeah, he, goes, he told me amazing things about you and what you guys did together. I said, but the most amazing things, he made a great statement. I said, what do you mean? He says, to me, Kevin is the number one guy in the country when it comes to Corvettes, restoring them, hunting them down the whole bit. He goes, you know something? Kevin McKay is the Mr. October of Corvettes. Wow. Coming from Resi Jackson, that's amazing. So he said that? I said, wait a minute, wait. Mr. October said, I'm Mr. October of Corvettes? <laughs> so we're at dinner. We're at a Mexican restaurant. I said, Reggie, am I Mr. October of Corvettes? He goes, that's exactly right. So Tyler goes back to the publishing company. He goes, you're not going to believe I had this wonderful interview with Reggie Jackson. And he calls Kevin the Mr. October of Corvettes. You think we're allowed to use that for the book? I said, so Reggie goes to me, well, who's going to do the photo of your book? So I haven't decided yet. He goes, oh, yes, you have decided. I'm doing it. Wow. I go, what do you mean you're going to do it? He goes, no, 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 no. All the things you've done for me and this hobby, I'm doing the photo of your book. And that's it. So I couldn't argue with the guy. So, all right, you got it. You got the job. Put that quote in the book, which was so fortunate to have him as a friend. 
just a, a great guy. But I tell you, he knows his cars. He really knows his cars. What an incredible compliment from Reggie Jackson. That's incredible. I was blown away. Where can people buy Corvette Hunter? You can go on my website, CorvetteRepair.com. Try to make things as simple as possible. You'll have the book within a week. I mean, it's that simple here. One day, I sold 80 books in one day online. It was just amazing when it first came out. They were, they were really running off the shelf. And I know I don't have many left. I probably have a couple hundred left, and that's it. But uh, yeah, they sold pretty quickly, actually. So we'll hopefully do a, a second one of them, which I, I would like to do. That would be wonderful. As a matter of fact, Kevin, what we have talked about here off air is giving away five books. So if you would like a Corvette Hunter book from Kevin McKay, all you have to do is write to me on my website. It's Steve at CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. The first five people that write to me with their full name, address, and email will get a book, Corvette Hunter. And sign. And sign. There you go. That's perfect. Get a signed Corvette Hunter's book from Kevin McKay, the first five people that write to me on my website, Steve at CorvetteTodayPodcast.com, will receive a signed autographed copy of Corvette Hunter. Kevin, that's outstanding. Now, let's also talk about, because you've had some milestones in your life associated with Corvette. In 2012, you were inducted into the Great Hall for Bloomington Gold. Talk about that, because a lot of people might not know what the significance of that is. Well, Bloomington Gold has been around since, oh God, since the mid-70s, and it's the granddaddy of all Corvette shows. One of my mentors, a guy named David Burroughs, who I still have a great, great relationship with him today, one of the smartest human beings I've ever met, has actually groomed me to become a judge, and I've been judging there now over 35-plus years. Mr. Burroughs started certification, started Survivor Award, was able to bring auctions there, workshops there. Just a brilliant, brilliant man. And he decided that what makes the hobby are the people involved in the hobby. So he decided to put together the 50 most significant cars, as well as the, the people that influence a Corvette hobby, the 50 most important people. I was selected by a committee back in 2012. I'm very honored to be a part of that. Some really important people in that great hall and got inducted in 2012. But it was just a fun, fun time. It's nice to be recognized for working so hard. <laughs> my family had the one have anything to do with uh, opening my own business. So uh, I guess I proved them wrong at the end. That's incredible. So, yeah, because you're a master judge and you're a Bloomington Gold benchmark judge as well. I mean, that's the highest of the high to get that level of judging done. Now, you're also involved with NCRS as a master judge as well, the National Corvette Restorer Society. Talk about that as well as compared to Bloomington and gold. They're very similar. A lot of the people that are members of the NCRS are also involved with Bloomington Gold. Bloomington Gold is a business. NCRS is a nonprofit organization. And the NCRS has been around, I think, since 1974. I believe we have probably 17 or 18,000 members today. Uh, great organization. If you love Corvettes, I would highly recommend you joining the NCRS. They have shows every year. They have a local chapter show, a regional show, a national convention every year, normally in July. This year, of course, was canceled because of the horrible virus that we're all experiencing. It. A lot of my dearest friends are NCRS members as well as Bloomington Gold. I've been involved with those for over 35 plus years. Matter of fact, Bloomington, 36 years, and I believe NCRS, it's, well, 1980. So it's been, it's, well, my God, it's been 40 years on that 
that old already. Son of a gun. <laughs> it's just a great thing. And they have workshops and they have swap meets and they have judging as well. You know, the car's got to be 94, 95% the way it came out of the factory is basically both between the NCRS and Bloomington Gold are very similar in their own way. It's nice to get it all. Right. I've been so fortunate in life. I love showing off our work and telling the stories of Corvette history when we get something that's really special. And to date, we have almost 1,600 awards under our belt. We have over 525 Top Flight Awards, over 200 Blue to Gold Certification Awards. We also bring our cars to Chicago at the Rosemont Center. We have probably over 150 either Triple Diamond or Triple Crown Awards, used to be called years ago. I just love bringing people together and getting their cars blessed by the experts. It's nice to do that. It just keeps the hobby active and exciting. There's still cars and barns. They're still out there. But I really want to thank what's really important to me is that even though I may be the figurehead of Corporate Repair Incorporated for 35 plus years, you're only good as your team. I have a great team of people over the years that work real hard, that are real craftsmen, that have a, a lot of experience and knowledge and passion like I do. So if it wasn't for my team, I wouldn't be where I am today. That's very important to me. It's a tribute to you and your staff, all the accolades and awards that you've won, both with NCRS and Bloomington Gold. Also, Kevin, you were the Grand Marshal back in 2014 for the Corvette Homecoming in Bowling Green. That had to be a wonderful experience. Oh, it really was. We just came back from, actually, we were in Kansas City at the NCRS National Convention. We had 14 cars there. And we took half the cars out of there for Bowling Green and displayed them there and I did a couple of classes. And I just had a ball. So I was just eating it alive. And I had a chance to visit the National Corporate Museum, which is right there anyway, and saw the sinkhole. And just an amazing, amazing time. But I love going. I love going down there. Just love going down and seeing the people. It's interesting that you mentioned the NCRS show here in Kansas City in 2014, because even though I own a C7 Stingray, I'm an NCRS member as well. That was my first event that I went to, and I remember seeing you at the NCRS event here in Kansas City, Missouri. That really kicked me off to the heritage and history of the Corvette. Well, we had the Pepsi car there. We had the Cunningham car there. We had the Sunray DX car there. We had a sideways car there. We had an original motor from one of the original 63 Grand Sports there. We had the uh, the first prototype ZL1 engine that was on the cover of Hot Rod Magazine, December of 1968. We've had some really cool displays there at the Kansas City National Convention. It was just, we just, we just, we just had a ball. That was a great show. It really, really was. Kevin, if someone wants to get a hold of you at Corvette Repair, they're on Long Island. How can they get in touch with you? It's very simple here. My website is really big. You can spend days on the website. CorvetteRepair.com. Our phone number is 516-568-1959. Like I said, I make things real simple. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me is either send me an email. Email is real simple. It's CorvetteRepair at Yahoo.com. Kevin, thank you so much for being a guest on Corvette today. This conversation has been monumentous and remarkable and absolutely incredible. Well, thank you, Steve. You're a great guy. and looking forward to You owe me a beer now, Steve. You owe me a beer. I owe you two beers, my friend. I owe you two <laughs> beers. That's great. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was just a lot of fun. And it's, you know what it is? It, I don't call it a job. I call it a hobby. And a lot of people are jealous of what we do. We just have fun every day. It's, it's hard work. Don't get me wrong. We have our moments here of stress of getting cars ready or always under the gun. But I just really enjoy the people 
and the cars in the history. Kevin, you are really a gatekeeper for Corvette because if it wasn't for you, some of these monumental historical cars would never come back together if it wasn't for you and your guys there at Corvette Repair. So my hat is off to you because hunting down these cars, getting them back together, making sure that they're historically correct is a job that's very, very difficult to do. And there's nobody better at doing it than you, my friend. Thank you, Steve. And looking forward to seeing you in the future, my friend. Absolutely. Okay, be well. The legendary Kevin McKay from Corvette Repair on Corvette Today, the podcast. Thanks once again to our flagship sponsor, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City at ChevyUSA.com. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at stevegarrettdj. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.